Through the lens of loving local and seeing global, we obsessively search for people whose stories need to be told and how OKC played a supporting role. Hosted by Katherine Bexton and Emmy Cobes, welcome to Action City. Emmy. Hi. Hi. I almost just coughed right as we started. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you were trying to hold it in. Yes. And then it was really going to definitely be coming just because you were trying to hold it in. Exactly. Um, it's 20 days till Christmas. Was this, was this your deep thought? That was my deep thought. <laughs> 20 days till Christmas. You know, I do this, I did this last year. I do this every year. 20 days till Christmas. I have no Christmas card. I have a few Christmas presents. Wait, you have no card. I like haven't worked out my card. Oh my God, your card was so cute, oh, by thanks. the way. I cannot even take it. Well, I like sent my card thinking, and we haven't gotten anybody else's card. I haven't gotten any cards either. I got. I have like 10 cards. Normally by this point, I have like 50 cards. That's what I was. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I was like, did I just not like... Did nobody want to send me a card? card? They take me off their list. No, and I don't have that. I mean, I'm not, normally I have this bowl. Yeah, I have it's filled. Yes. I bet the stack is like half an inch. I literally have the Cranes Thanksgiving card. Yeah. And then it, like one from my dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any of my friends. I mean, not everybody's as organized as you are, I think. I didn't think situation. I was that organized, though, because I ordered my cards. I, I didn't do a local company, which I feel really guilty about because I pretty much always do paper and more. But... This year, it was just, I, I don't know. It was one of those things where I saw what I wanted in my head. And then you just have to go for and it. And then I was like, this is just going to work out. So yeah. I do feel bad because I always get my cards from Paper More and I didn't this year. But there's always next year. But it was You'll one get of something else from Paper More. No, I, I right. always, yeah. yes, I patronize that place a lot. <laughs> but, but your card was darling. It made me real sad. I didn't have professional pictures or a card or anything. I got well, nothing. that's a, I don't know why the timing worked out. And then when I ordered my card, it was like there was some pre Black Friday sale or something. Oh, there's the, uh, and then they came in like three or four days. It just worked out. Timing. And I think you hand addressed them. I did. I was really impressed with that. There's I no did. hand addressing going on in my house. I did. I hand addressed like 150 of them. Did your hand hurt? No, I, I just really? did it over time. That's the other thing too. So I would do like during nap time, I would just do a bunch. But by the way, I do not have like a beautiful Excel spreadsheet with everybody's. I was oh, like, I do. see, that's the thing. I was like on my 30th birthday invite. And then I realized some of our friends had moved. So then I went to the Rambler and then I went to the Cassidy directory where else did I look? Oh, then my sister-in-law has a list of the Fort Worth people. And then there's another directory for Fort Worth. Like I'm just going to have to suck it up and put it in Excel. Well, here's the thing. I'm sure I missed somebody. Oh, you did for sure. Yeah. So and sorry if you're that person. That exactly. One, well, I honestly was just thinking driving here. I was like, I think I forgot my friend Laura and her family because they moved and I yes. never texted her and asked her. I will say, okay, even if you have it on the Excel spreadsheet, okay, which right. I do, I started with my wedding list. Okay. So this has been going on, whatever, 17 right, and a half right, years. Right. The uh, time required every year to update, update them mm -hmm. is several hours. Like I've already worked on it for like two hours. I'm gonna have to work on it for like another two. Right. I have this whole system of like highlighting and moving. And yes. And I'll tell you this, I went through the list this year. There were like five people on the list. I don't even know who they are. What? Mm-hmm. So the list gets out of control. Like what you'll do is you'll add people. How many people like, are on your if list? If there's somebody like 450. 400. Yes. Okay. So you like add their grades, right? Like whoever's in their homeroom class. Oh, that's from like yeah. first grade. You add them, right? You oh, add like the front yeah. desk lady at primary. You add da, 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 and then you never take those people off. See, I didn't do the front desk lady, but I don't go to that building. Exactly. That's what. Okay. Yeah. But like, but if you, if you don't <laughs> take those people off, then you cannot remember where they came from. So I, I took off like 10 people for the first time ever. 
Did you really? Yeah. So I was like, I don't know. And then some people you just can, you're just like, I'm not even, it's not even worth it to find their new address. So you just move them. I bet on the second sheet, my yes. Excel spreadsheet yes. is like 40 people that have just kind of moved over there and, and never and made the, their way back on. Way. Okay. Yeah. Well, mine was just discombobulated, which is why I hand addressed them because I would have had to be more organized to get to them get the Excel, Excel spreadsheet. spreadsheet. I gotcha. So it's not really like. Did you wait till you had them all done to send them all at once, or did you send did. them in batches? No, I sent them you all. You didn't want to feel like they got left out. Well, but they yeah, did. But they did. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. sorry. Oh so, my gosh. I don't know. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I I went through the Rambler though, and like all. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sure I missed like reading names. I would have to be able to find the Rambler. That's a whole nother situation. Well, that's, I mean, and now the casting directory is online. Oh, that's so confusing too. Well, I guess I better go through that. There's yeah. some people I need to add on for the girls. Yeah. Okay. So know. what was the, what was the peak? Well, my peak is not my niece is here. Oh, Sarah's, wait, she Sarah came. Baby. She, wait. Yeah. She, oh, so I okay, couldn't start. talk When about you say this. here, okay, just give the big she, announcement. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so my sister had her baby. I couldn't really talk about it last week because she was still in the NICU and I don't want to go into a ton of detail because it's like not really relevant. Right. But essentially, my sister was 36 week preg weeks pregnant, ended up having her baby early. She went to the NICU, but she passed like all of her tests, flying colors, and she finally got to come home. But it was the pit. The pit was the stress. Right. Yes. Of like just is Sarah OK? Is the baby OK? And we've just never I mean, we're so blessed. Like my two children weren't in the NICU. My brother's daughter never went. So like, we've never experienced this as a family where you're kind of in crisis, but then it was weird with COVID because nobody could visit. So there was like, we just kind of had to be supportive from afar Yeah, and it was really hard. It was really tough, but she's beautiful. She's so, so you cute. You guys went down to Fort Worth to meet her. Well, so we what's her name? Give us the full Francie. name. Francie. Well, it's Francis Louise. So they're calling her Francie. Okay. Francie Lou. Um, She's darling. She came out like almost six pounds, which for four weeks early, I think is really big. Yes, that's good. And she has like kind of blonde hair, which is hysterical because my sister has super dark hair. And so did her, her husband, they're both very hairy, dark haired people. And this, and this baby, baby is blonde hair, blonde hair with it blue eyes. For long. No, it'll that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll Enjoy turn. It white, yeah. yeah. Um, but she's precious and she seems like she's nor like healthy and healthy. And I shouldn't say normal, but like there's no reflux or like. I don't know. I, th I think that they're experiencing now, finally, the normal things that you go through with a newborn. Yeah. So, Aww. yeah, she's darling. So I got to go by myself to Fort Worth to see her come home. And yeah, because you probably couldn't take your kids. No, that well, situation that's the thing. Probably, it's like, yeah, yeah the, the pediatrician for Francie said, like, maybe no toddlers. Yeah. Which I think is smart. So Jeff stayed home and oh, Jeff had both kids. Yeah, which I'm sure he was fine. He was fine. They didn't get bathed one night and Huffman no, kind of had a black eye. <laughs> I was like, why? <laughs> why is this so hard? That's I, what I don't yeah. understand. I mean, we do it. I mean, I don't understand what is it that is like just so difficult about I, getting it together. I mean, I don't know, but it it was sweet that Jeff, I got home and he was like, I appreciate everything you do because I think that he doesn't realize like, that time between when I pick them up from is school the worst. and he gets home is the worst. Literally the worst three hours And that's of what life. he said. He was like, I cannot believe how hard those like two and a half hours are. And he was like, I was thinking. You can't sit down. There's no like, do, I no, mean, no. He could not believe how hard it was. So I, 
I appreciate him. He appreciated me. Said that was good. Good. Because <laughs> when I got so home, glad. I felt so bad. I was <laughs> like, are you okay? Did good. you survive? But um, yeah. So I think that the glad the stress of that whole situation is like behind you. Behind us. Yeah. For everybody. I mean, it was stress. I mean, my parents. Oh gosh. My my sweet sister and her husband, like, I they you know it was pretty traumatic for them. And I keep telling them that their births, Francie's birth story is like not normal. So it's like, you know, I think it's so tough when you have a new baby too, because you're already in such fight or flight. And then to add some trauma on top, it's just, it's a lot. So I hope she gets to sleep a little bit. Yes. The baby, the baby's great. Like she was like sleeping. I mean, she wasn't super fussy. Like she was awesome. So I'm excited for them to get to start like, Life is now starting. Life is starting. Life is starting. Yeah. And that's what I told them. I was like, you're not even going to remember not having kids. And they're like, we already don't remember. We already don't remember. (laughs) Jim and I do look at each other like, what did we do with our day? Like, what did you do with your days before your kids were born? I can't even remember. Yeah, I kind of remember. I didn't use them very well. That's for sure. Mm -mm. Now I would actually maybe do something. Yeah. Okay. So my peak. Yeah. What's your peak? Is Gracie's eighth grade dance. Oh, yeah. Okay. You guys, the, the class mom for Gracie's grade, there are two class moms, but one of them is like a total go-getter. And she has decided that every month the eighth grade class is going to have a party. Okay. But different families host it every single month. It's only the eighth graders. You can't invite anybody else. And so their December party was a dance at the Criterion on Saturday night. That is the cutest thing ever. So we went and decorated on Saturday morning. Gracie's texting me, mom, is it cute? Is it cute? Is it cute? What are the decorations look like? What's it going to be like? And I was like, you're going to have to wait to get here. So she got dressed with a friend and then they went to, she has a boyfriend. They went to her boyfriend's house. Wait, and, Gracie or uh-huh, her friend? Gracie has a boyfriend. What? Gracie yes. has a boyfriend uh-huh. too? It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. Wait, both and your girls have yes, boyfriends? Yes, they both have boyfriends. I can't even. It's oh so stressful. My but so we went to his house and so her friend Maggie came and Maggie went with a friend in, in their grade. And so it was the four of them. But I mean, so Gracie's boyfriend, Henry, she's going to kill me that I said boyfriend. Oh, she got mad at me that I told Gramps that she had a boyfriend. But he had but on this he's light legit boyfriend. Right? Yeah, light blue suit. Oh, like dumb like, and dumber? No, in like a cute, stylish way, oh. not in a dumb and dumber way, which is how Jim wore the suit to yeah, his high yeah, school yeah. prom. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. No, it was in like a stylish way. So it was this blue suit. He had on a white shirt and like yellow um lensed sunglasses like hanging in his shirt right here. What? The coolest sneakers you've ever seen. I was like, Gracie, you better step it up a notch because Henry looks darling. So I mean they were so <laughs> cute. They get to the dance. I don't know. There were like 40 something kids. There were not every kid in the grade came. Mm-hmm. They danced the entire night. Fine. There were two dads who were the DJs. They were playing songs that were songs we would dance to, not songs that 13 year olds want to dance right. to, but they could have cared less. They did a conga line. They had a dance off. They, I mean, they did the step to the right, step to the oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like this way or whatever that song is, they did that. I mean, and so we, all the parents were there upstairs on the little balcony, like looking down. Uh, so they sort of forgot we were there. Wait, so it wasn't like they oh, weren't worried about what their wait, parents were doing. Did you guys have the bar open upstairs? Yes. The bar was wait, open upstairs. That is like but the best idea. It was so great because it was not a school 
sponsored event. But I mean, it wasn't like advertised that the bar was open upstairs. No, but no, it but was. like but that's yes. what I'm saying. Sneaky. Like you guys. Could, yes, like, we went upstairs, and, and then we could look down. down. I have like never seen anything cuter in my whole life. Oh my! Gosh. I'll ask Gracie if she can let me. Like we can post a picture. You will die over how cute it was. Oh my gosh! Wait, they had the best. I mean, she had the best time. All of her friends had the best time. There was like a little, not a photo booth, but like a photo area yeah. set up that was the, that they decorated and. Another mom in the grade loves to decorate. So she like knocked it out on the decorations. It was so cute. Oh, I feel so that like was my post COVID. That's exactly what kids need. It's just these yeah. like events to make memories and like yes. get excited about being social. And you know, what's so great. I mean, that wasn't like, I mean, they were ninth grade, right? They right. were all, it was a nice, clean, sober event and they had a blast. Yeah. And you wish that they could sort of keep that feeling going right without the. Does Gracie have a really good grade? Oh, the best, the that's best awesome. grade. I mean, they might like the uh, best grade. I know in high school, like yes, know, some people drink and stuff, but I feel like I don't know. There, I feel like our grade kept sort of that innocence in a way in certain situations. Yeah, so I hope they keep that. Yeah, like none of us drank after graduation when we did that. Like, yes, I mean that, that's like yeah. the yeah. Which I we guess we could. We were eighteen at that point. So no drinking little, age is twenty one. I mean, well, no, no, but you know what I mean. It was like. <laughs> Not it was senior year, right? Right, right. Well, you're right, right. When you weren't freshman, yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Interesting. Well, okay, so we gotta we gotta move this along, peeps. Well, you have to say it, Pitt. I feel like you skipped it last week too. Oh, <laughs> uh, I make I'm like making you. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. My house still isn't finished being decorated, but okay. But my pumpkins got picked up today, so that's good. Oh, good. <laughs> so the, so the you're Christmas out of pumpkin <laughs> combination is over. That's good. So that was, my, but my inside of my house is not decorated yet. So hopefully by next Monday when we do this, it'll be decorated. I think that I only had the tree yeah. for a week and finally decorated it. Twenty so days till Christmas. Twenty days, people get well, your shopping. By done. the time this comes out, it'll be sixteen. Oh, it'll be sixteen. Better chop chop. That means me. two weeks yeah. ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we're excited for our guest today. I know. We're hoping. Well, two guests. Oh, yeah, we do have two guests. We we're do. hoping that this is going to be a great follow-up to an episode we did a few weeks ago. So we're excited for you guys to hear it. Dr. Bob Shopes grew up in Seminole, Oklahoma, before attending the University of Oklahoma, where he obtained a bachelor's degree and a medical doctorate. He went to Penn State Medical Center, where he completed a residency in anesthesiology and perioperative medicine and a fellowship in neurocritical care. He then completed a fellowship in critical care medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center before returning to Oklahoma. He is currently on faculty at Integris Baptist Medical Center with the Specialty Critical Care and Mechanical Circulatory Support Service. His career passions include cardiogenic shock, ECMO, and other forms of mechanical circulatory support and advanced ventilator management. Dr. Shopes is married to his high school sweetheart and has three children. Shannon Oman. BSN RN CCRN is an ECMO coordinator with a nursing degree from Swasu. She has been a member of the ECMO team at Integra since 2018. She is part of the rescue team charged with collecting patients from rural hospitals and transporting them back to Integra to be treated with ECMO. She has an 18 month old son and is an OKC Metro native. Welcome to Action City, Dr. Shopes and Shannon. Looking for your voice to be heard? Have a passion and want to share it with those of a common mindset? Have a business or brand that needs to get the word out but don't know where to advertise? Contact Blackened Studios, a full-spectrum, cutting-edge podcast studio that services clients from all over the country. Blackened Studios offers you more than just a podcast. 
we offer you an experience. In-house production from audio video recording, editing, marketing, advertisement, and exposure with over thousands of people listening weekly. Black & Studios doesn't hesitate to back local businesses. So when you want your voice heard, Black & Studios has your back. Search Black & Studios on all social platforms. Email at podcast at blackandstudios.com or visit us at blackandstudios.com. And remember, it's Blackin'. Dr. Shopes and Shannon, we're really excited to be back at Integris. Yes. Following up on our conversation with Dr. Doug from two weeks ago about the LVAD and about advanced cardiac care at Integris. And we're so excited that you guys are back on the podcast or that you're on the podcast now and that we're talking about another service that you guys provide in advanced cardiac care, which is ECMO. So once again, Shay, thank you for bringing us all together. I appreciate it. We're so excited to really to hear your stories and to figure out how you got here and how you ended up at Integris and then why this is important for the city. So, Emmy. Yeah. Should we get started? Yeah. Okay. I don't know who wants to go first. Who wants to go first? <laughs> no, volunteers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can start. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. This is really great. Um, my name is Bob Shopes. Do I introduce myself? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You're doing great. <laughs> so I am a um, uh, intensivist with the uh, the specialty critical care medicine group at Integris Baptist Medical Center. We an work, intensivist? That's an ICU specialist. I'm a, I'm a physician that only works in the ICU. That's kind of the only kind of patient that I take care of is the okay. really sick ones. Um, but specifically, what we take care of is the cardiothoracic ICU, so patients that have problems with their heart and their lungs as well as our transplant ICUs. So our patients that have had liver transplants, kidney transplants, heart and lung transplants, of course. Um, and that's kind of the gist of what we do. But then the uh, a big segment of the population that we take care of is the ECMO population. So these are patients that have new onset heart or lung failure that is so bad that the medications that they're on or the machines that are typically used in the ICU are still not enough to take care of them. So what we can do is put them on uh, various types of ECMO in order to support their heart or their lungs so that they have time to get better and, and hopefully give them a, an increased chance of survival. Okay. And we'll come back to ECMO because like even as you're talking about all these questions are flooding my head, but I do want to get to your personal background, how you kind of got to Oklahoma City. Are you from Oklahoma? Uh, I moved here when I was about nine years old. I was born in, or actually when I was 12 years old, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, moved, uh, I was born in Iowa and I moved around a little bit with my dad's job. I lived in Pennsylvania for a couple of years. And then uh, we moved to Oklahoma when I was in the fifth, sixth grade. Okay. And then I grew up here ever since then, went to um, high school here, graduated from a small high school called Seminole High School. Yeah. Um, then went to college at the University of Oklahoma where I got a bachelor's degree went to medical school at University of Oklahoma here in Oklahoma City. Wait, we can't just breeze through the college years. We got to know, I know. Like, I mean, what, what the, was the... Yeah, what were your interests? Like, what was, what was college like for you? Uh, it was probably more studying than I would have liked, but not enough as it should have been is how I describe <laughs> it. But That's good. We had good college years. I, I met my wife in high school, so we oh, both nice. went to college together, and, and we had a great time there, and we were in Norman together for the same period of time, and... Um, I did was she there. know what was she was in for? for uh, she didn't have only time, working no. with the ICU patients, <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> the 24 well, hour day job. At the time, I didn't really realize exactly what I wanted to do. I decided 
actually just before I went to college that I'd I might try being a doctor and we'll see how that goes. Did you like science in in high school growing yeah, up? I always thought I'd be an engineer or that I would go into the military. And then I ended up changing my mind during my senior year of high school is when I decided to give medicine a try. Did something happen or was this just kind of came a, to you? A big part of the reason that I switched to medicine was because I met who is now my wife. My girlfriend at the time, she had a complex medical history as a kid. She had a spinal cord tumor and um, she kind of had this miraculous recovery where she was never expected to walk again. And, and she ended up going on and getting out of bed the day after this massive surgery and, and having a full recovery and living a full life. And and I was really inspired by that as a, as a teenager. And um, it kind of drove me to want to do something like that, where I had a a more profound impact on people's lives. So, oh, so your wife inspired your medical career. Yes, she did. That's so pretty, sweet. Introspective, introspective, right? That's the word. As yeah. a teenager, to really put those things together. Totally. I, think. I mean, yeah, not every totally. teenager is thinking like that. Yeah, it's that. That's definitely a sense of maturity for yeah. sure. It's like uh, I would disagree with them. <laughs> you just thought she was really cute, and you're that's like, right. you got better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So you go to OU, um, and then where do you go after that? Um, so we were at OU in Norman for undergrad. That's about thirty minutes south of here, and then uh, the Oklahoma Medical College is at at uh, one of the hospitals here in Oklahoma City. So we moved to Oklahoma City shortly after we both graduated from OU and um, did four years of medical school there, and kind of struggled to decide what I was going to do after that as far as specialty training. I still didn't really know, and ultimately decided to go into anesthesiology because I. Liked working in the OR, but I also liked working in the ICU. And there are a lot of options when you do an anesthesia, when you do anesthesia training, there's a lot of options for how your can how your career can look down the road. Yeah. So I went through what's called the match process, which is a whole other conversation, but ultimately. We talked about we that did, with we Dr. Doug. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Doug was telling us about his match day. Yeah. I feel so, like it's like online dating kind of in a very. It is. <laughs> or except, like a sorority rush. Much more important way. Much yeah, a sorority less, rush. With much less influence. Mm-hmm, so you right. rank the programs and the programs rank all their applicants. And then there's a secret algorithm that just tells you where you're going to move for the next half decade. And so uh, we, we ended up matching at Penn State. It was the program that I really wanted to go to, luckily. And I went there and did four years of training in anesthesia and perioperative medicine, um, then did uh, a fellowship in neurocritical care at Penn State as well. Uh, we had a, a very educational, very um, influential leadership in that unit and, and made me very interested, interested Wait, in that say field. That again, neuro- neurocritical care. So it's um, a, oh, a neuro- brain unit, stroke yeah, yeah. patients, patients who've had open brain surgery, uh, patients who have seizure disorders, traumatic brain so injuries. So were you doing the anesthesia for those like surgeries? No, I was training to be an ICU doctor for oh, the neuro okay. ICU. Gotcha. And uh, about halfway through it, I realized that neuro ICU probably wasn't for me. I really liked the physicians I was working with and and I really liked the opportunities in, in that unit specifically as far as learning opportunities, but I, I didn't enjoy the medicine quite as much. Um, so I then matched into a general critical care mes- resident, I'm sorry, a general critical care fellowship at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. Um, and that's where I, I had a lot broader critical care experience and, and kind of fell in love with their cardiac ICU. They have a, a very, very busy cardiothoracic surgery program. It's the highest volume for heart transplants in the nation. Uh, Is so, it still that way? 
It is, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I had a lot of great experience with ECMO and advanced cardiac care, and and uh, that's that's kind of what made me fall in love with it. So then okay. after that, my wife and I were kind of looking. At that point, we had three kids, so um, we were looking to get back to a little bit closer to, to their grandparents, um, and and that's kind of how we ended up back in Oklahoma City. Well, so how long have you been back? Uh, three years. Oh, oh nice. okay. So not. As... Did you like Nashville? I did. I loved it. We always say if it doesn't work out in Oklahoma, we're headed back to Nashville right away. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure it works out. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah, visit. We'll you keep can you go here, whatever. Yeah. Southwest of Nashville. You'll be we're fine. very happy to be back. We we can visit Nashville anytime we want to, and and we're happy to be back in Oklahoma City for sure. So did Integris come and recruit you, or did you search them out? How did you know that this is where you wanted to be within Oklahoma City? Interestingly, one of my faculty mentors at Vanderbilt told me that I should come work here. If he, uh, he, after trying to recruit me to work at Vanderbilt and and uh, realizing he was going to be unsuccessful, he told me, "Well, if you're going to do ECMO and you're going to live in Oklahoma, you need to meet Ali Albaniosi, who is the founder of this program and our current medical director." He said that he has one of the best ECMO programs in this region of the country, and and if I'm going to be in that city, then that's where I have to work. Oh, so wow. he put me in touch with Dr. Baniosi um, while I was still in training at Vanderbilt, and. That was, I stayed in touch with him whenever I started looking for jobs and, and the rest is kind of history. We Isn't that um, incredible that somebody in Nashville would be like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, here's the best spot. And it happened to be here. Yeah. And that there was a spot to come to, right? I mean, that this was an established program right. that you had an opportunity to do what you loved in the city that you wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. It didn't, I, it, it wasn't available. The spot that I'm, that I ended up taking was not available right away. They had just hired one of my partners that still uh, works with us. So they weren't able to immediately offer me a position, but I stayed in touch with Dr. Boniosi. And as soon as they had a spot, they offered it to me. So I took it. Nice. Um, and interestingly, I, I didn't even realize this when I was in medical school here. And I think a lot of the population of Oklahoma doesn't realize that how, influential our program is here at Baptist that it's relatively well known around this region of the country for sure around the around the rest of the country and even around the world we have a bit of a reputation because we do have a very high volume ECMO program and a very very good advanced cardiac care program our outcomes are consistently higher than the national averages and and we have a really robust program right here in the middle of our home state and you have so. a pretty high volume right which is right. much higher volume than obviously any other hospital in oklahoma yeah so um, our program was founded in 2014 when dr albaniosi came here interestingly he came here from Penn State the year that I went to Penn State to do my training. So he founded the advanced cardiac care program at Penn State several years before I went there, developed that. And then um, he was in talks with our our institution director here at Integris to come build a similar program here at Baptist. So um, he came here the year that I went there. So I didn't meet him until I was finishing my training, but um, we have a lot of mutual colleagues and friends from Penn State and and kind of serendipitous that we both ended up together here at Baptist. But um, this program was founded in 2014 at the time. I don't believe there were any established ECMO programs in the state of Oklahoma. Um, There are now three um, but we are the highest volume program. We did 100 and 89 cannulations in 2020 and 100 and 
Shin. 151 cannulations in 2021 so far. Okay. Well, let's, I want to get Shannon's background and then we can jump back in because I have so many questions just about, I mean, being in a pandemic year, how this has shifted volume or things like that. But let's talk to you first about your background. Okay. I'm Shannon Oman. I'm an ECMO coordinator. Um, I joined the team, the ECMO team specifically in October of 2018. Um, before that, I was a nurse, just a registered nurse at in 701, which is our trans was our transplant ICU. And um, I was at this weird time in my life where I didn't know if I wanted to go back to school for nurse practitioner or I was applying for NP schools. And then um, Dr. Bonnie O.C. kept um, approaching me about joining the team. And I was like, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and um, Then I kept on and I was like, OK, I'm going to try it. So I went on a few like uh, calls, like rescues, we call them when we get a consult for, at an outside hospital with um, my manager now, Jackie. And I ended up I thought they were crazy. I'm like, this is a crazy job. But it, it was so fulfilling and rewarding that I was like, it kind of, I don't know, hooked me. So. Then I applied and I got the job, and so I've been doing it ever since. <clears throat> um, Where'd you go to nursing school? So I started out at OSU OKC, okay. and then um, I went to that's just your you get your RN from there, but it's like an ADN program. So I went to Swasu um, for my bachelor's and um, finished that, and I did that right after. So I graduated in December of 2015 with my RN. Nice. Did you always want to be a nurse? Of all, I mean, no. I started out um, going to school for dental hygiene, and then I hate uh, sputum and teeth and all that. So I don't know why I thought that was <laughs> ever like, a good so idea. Yeah. Be a good idea. <laughs> yep. But it, it had a lot of the same prereqs, so I was still on the same path, and I just kind of switched and was like, oh, I'm going to be a nurse. You still deal with that stuff, just not as much. Well, now you're dealing with yes completely different right yeah yeah well so are you from oklahoma originally yeah okay. um born and raised midwest city nice so yeah uh, i live in choctaw now and uh, wait what's that commute like it's it's like a 28 minute drive oh that's not bad what happens if there's an emergency that takes me 20 takes minutes 28 minutes you're like i'll be there in 28 <laughs> minutes people yep. hold down the fort yep. before i get there we have we have nurse practitioners in-house all the time so they're they're great and they always get the process started for us uh-huh. So, okay. And, but you had a good experience growing up um, in Midwest City. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's probably totally grown since you grew up there. I mean, yes. I don't feel like it was all quite as, I mean, oh, I don't know. You're not as old as I am, obviously. But it, <laughs> growing up, it was not all as connected. That's true. You know, I mean, now it's you drive to Norman and there's not one space. I mean, it's yeah, like one giant true. city all the way down there. But I don't feel like it was like that when I was Yeah, we up. have all that. Target and yeah. you know all that stuff over there. Best Buy now. It's, <laughs> it's a real city over it there. It is. It is. And is that your child on your button? Uh, yes. Okay. I forgot about that. No, it's okay. Whoa. I just was like, I love the little baby. Yes. So you have one yes. child. He's eighteen months old. Oh, that, yeah. He's that's a lot a, of fun right now. That's a hard age though. It's my favorite so far. Really? Yeah. Okay. See, I said that to somebody. Well, I just think it's tough because they can't communicate fully, but they get frustrated. Yeah. Like, um, you know what I'm saying? He's pretty good at, I mean. Is he talking? He he says words. I can kind of figure out what he needs. He points. Okay. Yeah. He does get frustrated. Don't get me wrong. But I do like this age. He's fun. Yeah. 
That's good. I'm always I'm like, I'm glad I don't have an 18 year old. People are like, I love no. it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, before this, he just, we just went through, he got all his molars all at oh, once. So that was a yeah. rough few months, but we're good now. Now you're sleeping again. So yep. everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I don't know. It doesn't sound like you guys sleep very much. No, that's true. Actually, it does not sound like you guys so sleep. So on your team, I mean, are we, do we want to like jump right in? Yeah, yeah let's do okay. it. So on the ECMO team, how is the team? structured how does it work so we have uh how many doctors so we we now have seven icu doctors on our service we have uh 10 nurse practitioners with an additional one uh that's in in orientation right now and then as far as we have seven of us wow yeah so then okay so if you get the rescue call Mm because i was looking at the pictures of y'all on the planes and stuff and Mm -hmm. that is Wild, like that's not the private plane flight I'd like to be taking. No, 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 no. it's not. No, it's not quite as luxurious. It's not going to Cabo. No, no. <laughs> but so on that flight, I saw what four or five people, maybe. Usually, it's three or four. Three or four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Typically, um, the way that the process works, if, uh, if a doctor at a, a community hospital anywhere within our catchment area gives us a call, then we start to mobilize our team. And depending on where they're located, we either uh, our, our goal is to always be mobilizing within 20 minutes and, and ready to head out to go get the patient within 30 minutes to an hour, uh, depending on the situation and where they're where they are. Um but in general, uh, if, if a doctor at a uh, community hospital thinks their patient needs ECMO, then they can call us. They have a direct line to the ICU doctor that's on call for the ECMO service. We talk about the details of the patient and whether or not they're a candidate for ECMO. And then uh, we, we make a determination. In general, it's unless they're a very clearly a candidate or very clearly not a candidate, we very rarely make... Uh, make those kinds of calls as a single person. Mm-hmm. We have a we tend to conference all the ICU doctors that are available to talk at that very moment uh, as much as possible and make it make the decision as a group. That way, we all have a consensus about what is best for the patient and and what we can do to help them. Um, so we we kind of stay on call for those conversations at all times, and then uh, whenever a determination is made, then we mobilize the team, um, head out to the hospital. We determine whether or not we need to put them on the ECMO pump at that hospital, or if we can just transport them back to the uh, back to Baptist. And then we so either, you bring the machine with you on the airplane, yeah, did you just in case. Yeah, and I saw yes. we'll, we'll post them. If we'll we can, post, yeah. If, if, we, you, if it's okay with you guys, if we, we, I we'll, think the patient's like image is yeah, blurred, out, blurred but, out. But so uh, the machine is there and ready. That's right. In case you want to put them on at the yeah. hospital or on the plane. And the majority of the times, uh, so we we also offer something called a critical care transport service, which is where our ECMO specialists and ECMO coordinators, these specially trained ICU nurses, go out in the ambulance or in the helicopter or the airplane or whatever the situation may be. Mm-hmm. And they help to stabilize the patient in the community hospital where maybe they're not used to dealing with patients that are quite that sick. They help to stabilize them and then help transport them back to our hospital. So again, these are patients that are with severe, severe uh, respiratory or heart failure that even most community hospitals or even most paramedics don't really feel comfortable transporting. So our specially trained nurses can go out and help to get them here to Baptist, um, sometimes without ECMO. But if the ICU doctors go in with, that's generally because we're going to put them on ECMO at the community hospital and then transport them back on the pump. Okay. Well, let's take it to the beginning. So 
when does, how do you know if somebody is a candidate for ECMO? Like, or really, what is ECMO? Yeah, what is ECMO? All right. Let's yeah, start. like I, because I feel like we're talking about it as if people As know, if everybody knows. And, and that's because we're staring at a machine and we did a little bit of research before yes. this. So. And I think I have, a, I have one friend whose father went on ECMO. So I, and I talked to Shay, but other than that, that's all I know. So yeah, assume we know nothing. Okay. <laughs> we did just kind of jump in there. Sorry about that. Sorry, so, that was no, my fault. No, I got no. so excited. I skipped the line. I, I did too. Yeah. And, you know, most people are lucky enough to go through their whole lives and never have any experience with ECMO. And that's that's how we would prefer it be because people are generally very sick when they need it. But ECMO is uh, ECMO. It stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. What that means is using an artificial lung outside the body to put oxygen into the blood, take out carbon dioxide and then inject it back into the patient. That's what all those words mean. But basically what that is, is heart and lung bypass in the ICU. Why is it the lung? Like, cause when we, when we talked to Dr. Doug, like we got talked about, you know, obviously heart failure, all this stuff. And then now with ECMO, we're talking about lungs with the heart. Like how, why are those symbiotic? I mean, I, I feel like this is a dumb question, but I'm no, like, it's a great question. You know what I'm saying? I feel like why is it lung or heart failure? Like how how are they connected? Yeah. And there's there's it's a great question for anyone that doesn't take advanced anatomy classes. Right. It's, I it's, mean, I would never. It's not, <laughs> me neither. It's not intrinsically obvious. So yeah. there are really even though you have one heart, there are two sides to the heart. And we talk about this in the ICU all the time. There's a right side of the heart and a left side of the heart. So when blood is coming back from all the other organs in the body and is coming back to the heart, it goes into the right side of the heart first. The right side of the heart then pumps that blood out to the lungs, which are right there. Um, but it pumps it out to the lungs, pushes it through the lungs, and then it comes back to the left side of the heart, which pushes it out to the rest of the body. Is it sad that like, I don't think I knew that. So oh God, I, the, I, I didn't either. Just, so okay. <laughs> if you have if you have a problem with one or other or either side of the heart or both sides, of course, then you almost always have a problem with the lungs as well. Oh my gosh! Okay, interesting. <laughs> I have a blood clotting disorder, and now I understand why PE is like such a big deal. Exactly, because okay. if you have a... Like, this is like blowing my mind. <laughs> okay. I really am sorry to our listeners that now I've taken this onto a personal level, but I'm like, okay, so... I always think if you have a question, it's very likely that someone else out there has the same question, okay, so okay. it's perfectly reasonable to ask. Um, but yes, exactly. So blood flows through the right side of the heart to the lungs, then the left side of the heart, and then out to the rest of the body. So if you have a blood clot that goes back to one of the major blood vessels going to your lungs, and right. it blocks blood flow through your lungs, yeah. then it blocks blood flow through the, all of your all body. Right, the whole body. Okay. This all makes sense. And so there are two different kinds of ECMO. There's VV and VA. I only know this because I watched a little video before we started this, but VV was developed a long time ago. Well, VA ECMO was the original type of ECMO. Oh. VV is a little more widely used. So okay. VV ECMO is venovenous and VA is venoarterial. What that has to do with is where we're taking the blood from before it goes through our machine and then where we inject it back. So venovenous comes out of a vein and goes through the pump and then gets injected oh, back into a vein. Okay. Okay. Veins are blood vessels that carry blood back toward the heart. So we take blood out before it gets to the heart. After it leaves all the other major organs, we take it out of one of those big veins 
put it through our artificial lung to inject oxygen, take out carbon dioxide, and then we just inject it back into another big vein. So then that all that oxygen goes to the heart and the heart pumps out to the rest of the body. So is VV you would use if you had a problem with your lungs? If you have a problem with just your lungs, just but your, your lungs. heart works just okay. fine. Oh, okay. okay. It doesn't physically bypass the heart. So the, the blood is taken from the right side and is injected back on the right side of the heart. So the heart still has to work for veno-venous ECMO. VA ECMO, on the other hand, is veno-arterial. So arteries are blood vessels that are moving, have blood that's moving away from the heart. So with VA ECMO, we remove blood from one of the big veins before the heart. And then we actually inject it into one of the arteries, the big blood vessels on the other side of the heart. So it physically bypasses the heart. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Are you mostly doing... VA. VA sounds more complicated than VV or my... VA is more complicated because it it changes how the body normally works more dramatically than VV does. They're both invasive, highly invasive forms of life support. Um, so for that reason, we tend to not want to do ECMO for just about anybody. But if your chance of survival is very low, then we... We only offer ECMO to people that really, really need it is so what I'm trying is to like say. So this is like the last, <laughs> the last yes. resort. But VV gotcha. is a little bit more straightforward because you're kind of taking blood from one place and returning it to a similar place. VA is complete bypass of the heart and lungs. It requires a lot more tests and, and a little bit um, higher degree of support. So uh, absolutely, it's a little what bit What happens to your heart when you're bypassing it? What is it doing while you're bypassing it? It so, obviously wasn't doing much to begin with if you have to bypass it. Yeah. The whole idea behind VA ECMO is that we can reduce the amount of work that the heart has to do so that it can rest and heal. Gotcha. So if you think about, if I'm looking at Shannon here and, and she is a normal sized uh, female adult, then her heart probably has four to six liters of blood being pumped through it every minute that she's alive. So if she were to have a heart problem Mm -hmm. and say that she needed five to seven or five to eight liters of blood pumped through her heart to help um, support her body in this time of stress, then if her heart were to become strained, then it may not be able to tolerate that degree of work. It It becomes overworked. So what ECMO does is remember that blood comes from a vein it goes through the heart and lungs and then goes to an artery. So when we put someone on VA ECMO, we're draining blood from the vein and we're injecting it into the artery. So if we take out four liters a minute from the vein and put four liters a minute into the artery, then instead of her heart having to do six liters a minute of work, it only has to do two liters a minute of work because we subtract that four liters from the amount of work the heart so has to do. So you don't take all the blood out of your body. Right. There's still some blood flowing through the heart, but it's a it's a dramatically lower number and it is it's it's enough that blood continues to flow through to support heart and lung function and to help support its healing and and its uh, its ability to recover, but it dramatically reduces the amount of work that the heart has to do so it can heal. Wow. I mean, it makes so much sense. If it sounds like it's complex, it's only because it is. It it takes uh, it takes even medical professionals a while to kind of wrap their brain around ECMO, especially VA ECMO, because it is so different from how our bodies normally function. Right. So, I could see that. I mean, it doesn't. It's not necessarily intuitive, but the way you explained it does make a lot of sense. It, is, it does simplify it. What, right. How do how do the community hospitals in Oklahoma and maybe in the region? know 
to call the, your team? How, how, what's that? Do you guys go down and introduce yourselves and say, here's what we do? Is there some sort of marketing process? Is it you guys just know each other? How do they know to call? And how do they know to call you guys versus somebody else? Well, I think that there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes for that. We do have people on our team that um, they focus a lot on marketing and reaching out to these clinics, to be honest with you, clinics and community hospitals. uh, And how do they know it's even a possibility? I mean, I guess they're Uh, probably not used to dealing with it all the time. I would say that a a lot of the reason why our program has grown as, as well as it has is because of the work that Dr. Boniosi put into it in the early years. He personally knows a lot of these physicians at outline hospitals and has a relationship with them where he has kind of educated them about when to call and, and situations where we can help and, and has really established our reputation with those institutions around the state and around the region. Um, how many hospitals are like in the dump or what did you say? Like the, the catchment area. Catch. So that's kind of <laughs> not the, the catchment area. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dump. Yeah, it was like in the, yeah. I don't know about number of hospitals. It, we, we typically operate based on a radius and it has to do oh, okay. more. We're more limited by the ability to transport a patient. Mm. So in general, our catchment area is around 300, 350 mile radius from Oklahoma City. So we oh, reach wow. into uh, Texas Panhandle, um, south and and middle of Kansas, Arkansas, uh, Arkansas as well, yeah. and then some North Texas, north of Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. So for an LVAD, you could really come from anywhere in the world, but for right. ECMO, you really have to come regionally because well, of the... it sounds like if the Because it's immediate. Is, yeah, like needing it, they need it soon. Absolutely. ECMO yeah. is much more for emergency stabilization. It's not a great long-term option. We do have for VV ECMO, because it is a little bit more straightforward, you we tend to be able to support patients on VV ECMO for longer periods of time. But do you really want somebody on that for like a long period of time or? It depends on the situation. The okay. lungs are, are kind of slow to heal sometimes. Oh, so really? like with the COVID population, for example, yeah, yeah, we have had a fairly large volume of COVID patients on VV ECMO and they tend to require quite a bit more time to recover than say the flu or a pneumonia or something like that. So that's one of the big problems that COVID has had or has made for us is that it's not just that patients are getting really sick because we can handle really sick patients. It's that they stay in the hospital for a really long time when they do get sick. I wanted to like, that was one of my initial questions when we were, you know, heard you guys were coming on was kind of what is the difference with COVID specifically? Because, you know, we've heard, I've the reason we heard I've heard about ECMO is because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that they've found out that this is an amazing treatment for that specifically. Um, but so kind of what's the difference that you see with those patients? And I mean, you just explained a couple, but. So the lung disease that comes with COVID, it's a viral pneumonia that stimulates the initial response, but the life-threatening aspect of that is not just a pneumonia. It's something called ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. What that is, is is actually a... um, it's damage that your body's own immune system causes to its lungs. So it's it's like a, when your immune system gets so ramped up because of this infection, it and tries to fight that infection so aggressively, it can actually cause damage to your own lungs as kind of collateral damage is a way to think of it. Gotcha. Um, 
So what happens, and and without getting too technical or too nerdy about this, uh, COVID nineteen or the SARS CoV two, which is the the virus that causes COVID nineteen disease, stimulates an immune response that is in some people. In some people, they just have it, and it feels like a bad case of the flu or something like that. But in some people, they have an immune response that is so dramatic that they get ARDS. And ARDS is a very life-threatening condition because it can cause permanent lung damage. And, um, uh, you know, when you have something like COVID-19 that's causing severe ARDS in a very large number of people and and they're very slow to recover, then that's kind of what the big issue has been. Um, now, why is, why is the ARDS so severe for some people and so mild for others? I don't know. And why does COVID ARDS take so much longer to recover from than, say, flu ARDS, which is definitely a thing, but it's typically limited to seven to 21 days is what we would, is a standard kind of VV ECMO run for, for the flu. Uh Or, you know, if someone has a run of the mill pneumonia that requires VV ECMO as typically seven to 14 days, why our COVID patients are requiring three to six weeks to recover. I don't know. I don't understand. I I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that they are, are sicker for longer and they require a lot more support. That's so crazy. But it's the same disease process. Disease process, right? But it's also the same disease. It's just it just for whatever reason seems to be much more much, severe. Much more severe. And a lot of people, this is another thing that I think a lot of people in the communities around Oklahoma don't know because again, I didn't well, when I was in medical school here, the program didn't exist because Dr. Boniosi was still at Penn State. But one of, the, one of the things that a lot of our communities, I think, don't know, is, except for the hospital personnel, is that we have one of the highest volume COVID ECMO centers in this region of the country, actually one of the highest volume in the country itself. Really? For we, just specifically for COVID? For COVID ECMO, exactly. Wow. So when we look at patients that have had COVID that is severe enough to require ECMO, most of the institutions that do ECMO submit our submit anonymous data about these patients to an international database called the ELSO database. It's kind of our organization, the extracorporeal life support organization. So the ELSO database is an international database that gathers information, anonymous information about patients that have severe COVID requiring ECMO, and they compile this all so that we can study it and kind of figure out how to do this better and and what we're what we can do better to help these patients survive and and um, what we know is there's a little over a thousand people in that database and around ninety of them are from right here at Integris Baptist. So we have about 1%. Are the whole world yep. in this database? Yep. Holy about 1% cow. of the world's ECMO, COVID ECMO population was cared for right here in Oklahoma City at, at our institution. And it's the same catch, right? So it's the same 300 yep, mile about 350 radius radius. Yeah. It's 1%. Mm-hmm. Oh, my and goodness. part of that is probably because we had it available. Because it was we have here. the ability to you do have so. The ability. Exactly. There, there might are, be other regions that don't have the ability so they couldn't have the opportunity, even if it, you know, absolutely. Oh, okay. So it's not just like the volume of cases here is that much higher. We do have a high volume compared to some regions of the country, but, um, you know, the, the primary reason we've been able to provide this service is because of the program and because of our phenomenal nursing staff and respiratory therapists and all of the support staff that keep our team working. Uh, you know, there are, there's a very, 
large group of people that helped to support this program. And, and, uh, it, it has empowered us to be able to help more people than a lot of, than a lot of other institutions are able to do. Interesting. Wow. Is, Integris has community hospitals around the state. How many community hospitals are Integris? I, I, I don't, I can't remember. Is there, is there, I don't know. I can't remember, but is there an opportunity to set up a, a smaller ECMO team at a community hospital that would then increase the range of the 300 miles or is mm-hmm. the plan to really always keep it right here in Oklahoma city and have the, because of the resources that it takes to care for these patients, they are kind of the sickest of the sick patients out there. So they're, they're very resource intensive. And as far as intensive care medicine goes, this is intense as it gets. So I don't think that it would be practical to set up satellite ECMO programs. But what we do is all of the Integris ECMO or sorry, all of the Integris hospitals that offer cardiothoracic surgery, for example, they have the ability to put someone on ECMO in the immediate short term. And then we can fly out there, pick them up and bring them back here for their ongoing care. So after somebody gets off ECMO, what is that process like? It really depends on it's, it's highly variable is what I would say, but it depends on why they were put on in the first place, how long they were on ECMO and then any sort of complications that they suffered during their ECMO run. As I said, this is highly invasive life support. So there are, there is a high risk of having severe complications and some of them are life threatening and some of them uh, can set your patient back substantially as far as their recovery period goes. But in general, um, a lot of our patients require prolonged mechanical ventilation, meaning that they have a breathing tube and they're on a ventilator. Almost uniformly, our COVID ECMO patients require what's called a tracheostomy, which is a surgical breathing tube in the front of the neck. Oh, wow. Um, that is, it, it can be permanent, but ideally it's only for a prolonged period of time, several months typically. Um, almost universally, our patients, I wouldn't say universally, but very often our patients require um, rehabilitation and ongoing physical therapy, which is just crucial to their recovery. We, we try to push a lot of early mobility and walking our patients and standing them up out of bed as much as we can. But it gets complicated when they're on heart and lung bypass in the ICU. So um, we there's a lot of post ECMO care to be done for sure. Um, and I think that's one of the big benefits that we offer is that we have a rehab facility right here in our building. We have a very close connection with some of the long-term acute care centers in the metro area. So, um, we, we are able to give them that level of support after their ECMO run and kind of continue to follow them if they need further care. Okay. Wow. I know. (laughs) Okay. So Shannon, you came on in 2018. Mm -hmm. So you had 18 months before COVID hit. What's your thought? What are your thoughts on sort of the, the difference obviously before COVID during COVID on the backside of COVID? Yeah. Um, pre COVID. Do you think we're on the backside? I don't know. I'm not going to I'm not supposed to knock, but not going to Um, pre COVID, it, it's like, so since, okay. So since we've had COVID, I feel like we have, like he said, our patients are on support longer, which makes it harder. I mean, we, every single call we get, we can't support 
every we would have a hundred patients on ECMO at once. You know, it's we can't take every single patient we get. And I mean, it takes a lot of resources when we have an ECMO patient. For, from a nursing perspective, they have one to one nursing care. So, right. and these nurses have to be trained and checked off, and they have to take extra classes to take care of ECMO patients. And as you know, with COVID, we've had some turnover. And so, I mean, it's, we just have to, I mean, every hospital's had turnover, but we just have to, um, like, these COVID patients we've out, we have on for multiple, sometimes months. So that's taking um, a nurse. It takes extra staff. They have a bed. And so we can't just like our tur- our turnover on patients, if you will, isn't as quick as pre-COVID, like the flu. You can't take as many mm-hmm. patients because so many patients are here for so long. Right. And like our like flu back in the day, I worked at bedside whenever we would have that really, but we had that really bad flu season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was 2018 or 2017. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, we had flu patient after flu patient after flu patient on ECMO and they were off within a week or two weeks. And it's like we were able to get more in and out, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So now being on the team with uh, being an ECMO coordinator, it's when we get these consults, we have to it takes a little bit longer to we have to shuffle beds around, shuffle patients around, see if we can move anyone to different units to make a bed for a patient so we can bring them in. So, I mean, it just takes a lot more coordinating rather than pre-COVID. We could just hop in the car and go and we'd have a bed and a nurse available. And, you know, so it's just a little bit different in that way. So now when you're making a decision about a patient to take them or not take them, it's, I mean, it's probably a lot more stressful than it once was. I mean, there's a limited number of machines, obviously, too. How many machines do you have? So we have um, 26 of the center mag, and then we have we have another ECMO machine that we like to transport with. It's more compact, and it's not as big and bulky, and we have three of those. So, I mean, we could support, you know, we could share, um, we could support, like, one we did this uh, math the other day. It was like up to 20 something patients, but okay. that we don't have beds and staff for that, but we do have enough machines. You have enough machines. Yeah. So, but to, but to put it in perspective about the decision for whether or not we can put someone on ECMO mm-hmm. because COVID has certainly um, affected that severely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shannon, do you know off the top of, head, uh, top of your head how many referrals we had that we were unable to accept this year? Mm, I mean, it was hundreds. I really? Last number I think I heard was between 450 and five, yeah. uh, 500 people that were referred to us for ECMO and we declined because we didn't have um, capacity because the hospital was already full mm-hmm. or they were too sick and beyond saving. Mm-hmm. So, um, where, you know, if, if we had more capacity and we had plenty of nurses available, then we may have more ability to just kind of give everyone a shot. But at a certain point, we we can only take care of so many people. And um, it's it's been a certainly been a rough year because we all get into this uh, because we want to help people and we want to have a profound impact on people. Um, but the 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 biggest challenge with COVID and the most severe cases of COVID, our biggest challenge is getting them in the door. 
wow. and just getting somewhere for them to be so that we can take care of them. What percentage of your patients are COVID versus non? Uh, so in 2019, before COVID took off, I believe that we had 60% of our ECMO cannulations were VA, meaning they had cardiac problems. They had heart problems primarily. And then um, about 40% were VV. And those patients were primarily flu or complex pneumonias and things like that. Last year and this year, our numbers are about the same. We've pretty much flipped that we have about 60% VV and 40% VA. Now that oh, is... So you don't care, like categorize COVID versus non, I guess. I, it's a different... I don't know those numbers off the top of my head, but... Okay, but you wouldn't say like half or something like that, or would you? I'd say this year, because our COVID numbers have been so high and we've been able to take care of so many of them, I'd say 40 to 50% have been COVID patients. Mm -hmm. That is wild. Yeah. So the in 2019, you said you did 192? Um, I think we did 189 in, then, in 2020. Oh, in 2020. Yeah. Oh, in 2021, you're at 150. 151. Yeah. And is that because... The COVID patients has to stay on so much longer that you don't have the capacity to get up to the one eight because yes, we've had way more patient. consults than we ever than you have ever had, and we've had to decline way more patients than we ever had, and mm -hmm. yeah, we have less cannulations this year compared to last year, so. Without getting too deep into the COVID talk, the, the Delta variant, or at least the the time frame during which the Delta variant was the most prevalent variant in the community, um, our severity of illness seemed to be much higher. The duration of required ECMO support seemed to be longer. And uh, unfortunately, we had a simultaneous, uh, the most severe simultaneous shortage of nursing staff as a nation, but especially as a state and as a region uh, that we, I mean, as far as we know, we've never had this degree of nursing shortage. And so that's been one of our biggest limiting factors mm -hmm. is having enough staff to care for these patients and enough adequately trained staff because they are so sick and on such an invasive form of life support, we have to have specially trained nurses and, and you can't just get what we call an agency nurse, like a contract nurse that's coming from out of state just to do work for a few weeks. You can't just get an agency nurse for ECMO, unfortunately. Oh, so, so Shannon, if you had to think about what qualifications or what sort of personality somebody would need to be an ECMO nurse, and if you were going out and looking for somebody, what are you looking for? Um, you know, they need to be dedicated, committed. Um, it's a hard job. I, you know, I'm not at bedside like our COVID nurses. I feel for them. It's got to be exhausting taking care of the same patient for months and sometimes seeing improvement, sometimes not. I mean, they work so hard. And um, I mean, you just it, it takes a special person to be able to stick with that and um, keep coming back every day. I should I mean. I know it's tough. It's like how a, you solve that problem. I mean, what's uh, that's more people in nursing that's school. The I mean, of the year. I'm like, you can figure that out. I can figure that that's out. The question like, of the year. That is the question of the year. Yeah. It is. It is. God. Well, moving forward, do you guys see anything exciting on the horizon for ECMO or for the hospital in general? Like, is there anything that is getting you excited about the future? 
have you seen less patients maybe, or you're saying maybe not? <laughs> maybe not the Omicron variant. Let's not even <laughs> yeah. talk about that. <laughs> I think that, I think that certainly there's a lot of exciting things for our program and for, for ECMO, for the region in general. One of which being that Integris has invested in a new, uh, cardiothoracic surgery and transplant tower that they we haven't um they're supposed to break ground on within the next few months or within the next year i believe and then obviously it'll be some time before that's operational but that will allow us to expand our icu operation and cover more patients so we hope to expand continue to expand our icu team with both physicians nurse practitioners as well as more coordinators and specialists and um we plan to do that in order to offer or be able to offer more ECMO support, a higher volume of ECMO support. Right now, our biggest limiting factor is staff, but it's also physical space. We only have so many ICU beds. And uh, even when COVID dies down, there's only so many, uh, there's only so many ECMO patients that we can accommodate. With the construction of the new tower, we'll be able to accommodate many more ECMO patients and, and hopefully we'll be able to provide this much needed life-saving therapy to more people for the state of Oklahoma. We also, through the growth of the uh, physician service, we're trying to, we're working towards expanding our in-hospital presence more consistently so that while we offer 24-7 ECMO coverage to the 350-mile radius, we also can offer round-the-clock immediate ECMO support to anyone within the Baptist walls and potentially even outside of those walls with something that's called eCPR, which is extra extracorporeal, outside the body, mm-hmm. uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. So CPR is obviously when you do chest compressions and give breath to someone that's had a cardiac arrest. When they have something that is potentially reversible, like they have a massive heart attack or they have a PE, for example, is a perfect example of someone who may suffer a sudden cardiac arrest and they all they need is time to get to the cath lab or to the operating room so that we can do a procedure to reverse whatever caused their heart to stop. If you're just doing CPR, it's really hard to do open heart surgery. So it unless you're already in the operating room. So it is it is very it's a difficult situation when someone has a cardiac arrest and you just need to stabilize them for a short period of time so that you can do some other intervention. That's where you see PR comes in because we can take this machine, we can go to the bedside, put someone on ECMO within 30 minutes, even while they're doing CPR, and then take blood from their venous side, inject it into the arterial side and bypass their heart that's not working and completely stabilize them so that they can go to the operating room for their procedure. So somebody can be on ECMO and have open heart surgery? Yes. Whoa. All at the same so time? The way that ECMO was invented, and this we kind of breezed past the history of ECMO itself earlier, but VA ECMO was the original form of ECMO. So in the 1950s is when cardiopulmonary bypass was kind of developed, and um, that's when open heart surgery could suddenly be on bypass used to they would when they cracked your chest then they would operate on the heart while it was still beating or if they did have to stop the heart it was a very uh very fast kind of rushed process can you imagine like you could still do off pump uh heart surgery so where you have the heart actively beating and you operate on it but it is more complex and what you can do is more limited okay i so, just in my mind i'm like if it's moving <laughs> like i don't know like that just seems like it'd be impossible. seems dangerous so seems there are dangerous. there are 
thing without getting too far in the weeds, there are things you can do to make that process easier. Mm-hmm. But the ability to put someone on cardiopulmonary bypass, heart and lung bypass in the in the operating room certainly revolutionized cardiac surgery and took the mortality rates, meaning the uh, the percentage of people that were able to survive that surgery, dramatic dramatically increased after we had heart and lung bypass. So one of the problems with putting someone on heart and lung bypass is if they have a severe heart problem, sometimes it's hard to get them off of heart and lung bypass. Their heart needs time to recover. So in the 50s, they started to develop um, bypass machines that could be used for longer periods of time. And they honestly weren't that great back then. But once you got into the 70s is when we started to have successful ECMO runs in the ICU. So these were primarily cardiac patients, primarily pediatric cardiac patients. So kids that had heart defects and were not able to come off bypass right away, they could be supported in the ICU for short periods of time. I think the first successful ECMO run was 48 to 72 hours, something like that. But then, you know, over the years, ECMO kind of evolved and, and the technology was perfected more and more. And then in 2009, VV ECMO really exploded as far as how broadly it was used because there was a really big um, medical study about how ECMO can help people that need VV ECMO when they have severe ARDS. And it was being used a lot in Europe, but then in 2009, late 2009, when the um, 2009 was the swine flu. I was going to say, are you about to say swine flu? That's right. <laughs> yeah. When swine flu. Because I was like a freshman in college yeah. and, and I in Fort Worth, Texas, and there was a case across the street from my dorm room. Mm-hmm. And my parents were freaking out. And I was like, it's whatever. Yeah. So whenever H1N1 really took off in 2009 yeah. and was really killing people like crazy, uh, which oh at the time it seemed like crazy. Now it's, it's kind of, man, I wish that COVID was, okay. was just as bad as H1N1. But... This this new medical study about VV ECMO had just come out and people just started putting swine flu patients on VV ECMO and their survival was improved and they were saving all these people. And if you look at a graph of the number of ECMO cases since 2009 or since even even since the 50s, it's obviously like nothing. But then it slowly come trends up through the 70s, 80s, 90s. Then the early 2000s, it ramps up a little bit. But after 2009, the trajectory just completely changes path and it's an exponential growth. And that's the way it's been ever since then. And it's because we have continued to grow our ability to help patients with whom more and more complex uh, heart and lung problems. And so that's where our program has kind of evolved and where we are excited for it to go in the future is offering this program or offering this ability to do extracorporeal CPR, which is something that no one else uh, in Oklahoma really does consistently and really does well. So I think that's something that we'll be able to provide and, and we'll, we should be able to salvage a lot more people that, that otherwise would not have been able to survive their cardiac arrests. All right. Well, that kind of brings us to our first final question. So it's kind of a three-parter okay. for both of you, but it's Oklahoma City in 10 years, y'all's, the ECMO division in 10 years, and then you guys personally in 10 years. Where do you see these three things? So, I mean, we've talked about, you know, obviously Oklahoma City is this incredible hub for this technology, and we had no idea. I mean, we, like Catherine Two of and us I, had no idea. Not <laughs> you all, obviously. <laughs> um, but kind of what do you see happening in the future? Um. Where I see 
Oklahoma City going in 10 years as a as a city, I think there's going to be a lot of growth in Oklahoma City. And I think with that, our healthcare capabilities and our healthcare networks will continue to grow. Um, we do. There are two other ECMO programs in the state of Oklahoma, and we work very closely with them. We, we try not to be too competitive about things like that. We always want to help them because it's it's what's best for the state. It's what's best for the region. And yeah, and it so sounds I, like there's enough business, too. There's plenty of business. So um, we, we try to work um, work well with them and, and we want to help them grow as much as they can. But I'd like to see that relationship continue to evolve. I would like to see our catchment area grow a little more um, and and be able to capture more people from northern rural Kansas and and uh, more of the Texas Panhandle and more into Arkansas, because there are still a lot of people that are out there that that could use our help. And I think that uh, there are ways that we can expand or grow our program and, and gather more people. But most importantly, I would really like to see our the volume of patients that we can support here at home grow substantially so that we can take care of more Oklahomans. There are lots and lots of people right here at home that need our help. And I would really like to see our team grow so that we can help more of our people right here in Oklahoma. Um, I think that we are on track for that. Our When our program started in 2014, just seven years ago, there were two physicians and one or two nurse practitioners. I think that if we can get to the point where we have 10 physicians and, and 14 or 15 nurse practitioners, then we could provide a service that uh, this part of the country hasn't ever seen. And I think that we would be able to take in a lot of these patients that we just haven't been able to help in the last few years. Um, as far as me personally, I still hope to be here to be a part of that. As long as they don't kick me out, I, I don't <laughs> plan on going anywhere because I do think this is a very unique program. I think it's a service that you can't find in too many places. And, and I'm very proud and very humbled to be a part of it. Nice. What about you, Shannon? Um, from our, from my team, we're um, like whenever this first started, you know, they just had like one ECMO coordinator. And then as it grew, they started adding and we're like I said, up to seven now. And for our team, it's pretty exciting because we're all cross training um, to become ECMO specialists, which I am an ECMO specialist now. But there's me and then um one, two, three, four of us total, and the other three in the spring, they're going to be um, trained as well. And the, the difference between a coordinator and a specialist is just we're um, priming the ECMO pumps on outside hospital transports and we're managing the pump. So um, typically on a transport, it's the doctor, the coordinator, and the specialist. Um, before the specialist role, we took perfusion and we still do sometimes take perfusion. We love our perfusionist, but, um, what's perfusion mean? It's they're they're the people that run the pump or they also can do cardiopulmonary bypass in the OR. Oh, okay. The difference between specialist and perfusionist, we don't do bypass. We just do the ECMO pump. So, um, for our outside rescues, it's really nice to have two nurses and extra hands. And so eventually our whole team's going to be cross-trained to where we're going to have two nurses on each transport and we're going to be totally um, functional and fluid in the pump or managing the patient and both know um, both roles. So that 
that's coming quicker um, than hopefully 10 years. <laughs> no, yeah. Hopefully this next year. So um, that's exciting. And then we'll hopefully continue to grow our, our team as well. So I cannot speak highly enough about this team of coordinators and, and uh, specialists. When you look at this machine over here and all the various parts and, yes, and tubes going everywhere and wires everywhere, it's a complex machine and there is lots of opportunity for disaster. And then you add into that the fact that we're trying to save a patient that is very near death and and there is just uh, limitless opportunity for complications and for and for problems, especially when you're out at a community hospital without all the resources and without all the backup that we always have. And uh, this team is just a phenomenal group of specialized nurses that are very, very well trained and provide uh, an excellent level of care. I've been so impressed with them since I've been here. Good. So if you're listening and you think you, this sounds interesting. We're always hiring. Join this team. (laughs) At the end, maybe we'll post. Yeah, we should. The way that people Mm -hmm. can get in touch with you guys, because maybe they just don't know it exists. Maybe they think it sounds like something they would be good at and would enjoy. And one other thing while we're talking about hiring nurses, um, our ICU nurses here, again, I've been so beyond impressed. I've worked at a couple of larger academic institutions in other regions of the country. And I'm telling you, the nurses in this at Baptist here at Integris Baptist are some of the best I've ever worked with. They are phenomenal uh, across the board. They're all exceptionally trained and um I think that I don't think there's a bedside nursing experience like this anywhere near here. So if if I we're always looking for new nurses to join the ICU team, especially right now more than ever, because we have been stretched so thin. Uh, but we are trying to grow despite that the staffing shortage. So um, I think it's a really special opportunity that is very unique, and and everyone that does it says that it is not. It's not an easy job. It is probably one of the more challenging nursing jobs that there is, but that is also one of the more rewarding and gratifying that we we help the people that no one else can help and we save the people that no one else can save. And again, another one of the only other reasons that we're able to do that is because of the phenomenal nursing care that we have and the the respiratory therapists and all the all the staff. I mean, all the way down to environmental services or housekeeping, um, everything that. Uh, I've just been beyond impressed with with Baptist as an institution, but our team specifically have been have been top notch, world class staff, and I, I just uh, it's a very special team to work for. That's really it's really wonderful to get the opportunity to work as a team because you don't. I mean, I haven't been in the hospital, so I don't know exactly how it works, but I've never. This is sort of a unique story, I think, that you guys are telling about this group specifically. And maybe it's not. Maybe every single area works like this, but it sounds pretty unique to me. It is. I've I've worked at um, I've in my short time as a doctor. I'm not the oldest doctor even on our group. I'm one of the youngest, but um, I have done some contract work with other smaller institutions and other academic institutions around the country. And what I can tell you is that uh, our team gets along very well. We're highly functional. And, and, uh, one of the things that's most enjoyable is that we actually enjoy talking to each other and spending time with each other at work, which is something that's profoundly unique, especially in the ICU. Um, 
I'm one of those lucky people that uh, when I come to work, I have fun. So it doesn't really feel like a whole lot of work. Uh, it's it's very gratifying and, and I enjoy working with our team. And, and it's something that I, I think is very difficult to find. So I'm, I'm grateful to have it. Good. And I'm, I feel lucky that I live in Oklahoma City. Yeah, something too. happens. I know what to do. Yeah. You ready for okay. Final question? Our final question. Well, yeah. I mean, I love Oklahoma City, and it sounds like obviously you guys do too. <laughs> Let's say you're recruiting, Shannon. You're recruiting a new nurse coordinator to come to Baptist mm-hmm. to come to Integris, and you have to show them around during the day. So they don't live here. They're not from Oklahoma city. You're bringing them in from somewhere else and you have the whole day to show them. They already know that Integris is great, but now you have to show them that Oklahoma city is great. Where do you take them? Oh, hmm. what do you guys do? Yeah. What do we do? I mean, downtown is just like booming, you know, the new scissor. As my kids say, bussin, but okay. I've heard that. What is it? Bussin. Like it's busting, but bussin. You know, the scissor Dell park is an awesome area. Um, I'm pretty lame right now. I'd take my child to like the OKC Ch- uh, science museum, stuff okay, like that. Yeah, like, this yeah. person's come, coming you know. and they have children. So you have to show them okay, all the hot spots. Then I have all the ideas for that. Okay. But tell me this, the, we go to the science museum. We love that. I got a pass there this year because it's so much fun. Um, go to different, um, okay. I guess I don't have that many ideas. I'm like parks. That's not that exciting. The zoo. Do you like to go to the zoo? Yes. And he loves the zoo. I and he's like the their main ambassador. <laughs> yeah. We have the safari walkthrough lights we're going to this week. Um, it is so great. That's what I've heard. Yes. I'm excited. I think he's going to love it. Are you doing the walking or the driving? Walking. He okay. doesn't like his car. I was going to say the walking's great. I think he'll For a little it. Bring the stroller though. It sounds like Bring the stroller. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's cold. Um, and what else well it's cold now we went to splash pads stuff like that but you know they have so many cool restaurants now and um what are your faves mm. oh, i don't know i like food. who I has the like best food. uh high chairs that's what i always picked when my kids were little i was like who has a I like high chair louder I like restaurants so that yes yeah, so being uh-huh. you know I, it's not like so Wait, that is so funny. That's so true. I didn't. Think I don't about like all that. the attention on me, like busy restaurants, because you know. Yeah. Because then when he's throwing food on the ground, yeah. nobody notices, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, we like to go to, you know, places like Republic. Um, those are pretty loud usually, and they have loud music and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, they also have great food and. Um, I'm so lame. I'm like chick fil A. I'm an 18 month old. Listen, people, I haven't left my house in it is know, two years. Chick fil A. I don't know. We do have the very sure? best yeah. Chick fil A in the entire in the entire Chick fil A franchise chain company. I guess what? it's not a franchise. Our best Chick fil A ever is at 63rd of May. There's not a better Chick fil A in our I like that one. Than that one. That. So we go to that one a lot. Listen, I'm a regular. Yeah. I, am I got 14,000 points. Okay. I mean, it's <laughs> oh really There's points now <laughs> on the app. You see, just don't start. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't I start. I can't. Start. I can't. <laughs> well, so what about you? If you're bringing a colleague in who's looking at Integris, what is your day with them? What I would want to do is I think one of the things that Oklahoma City has that's unique to certainly to Oklahoma is is that there are lots of distinct neighborhoods around the Oklahoma City metro area. So I would want to take them all over the place. Um, I would want to make sure that they get to experience Midtown and the Arts District, the Paseo District. 
Um, I would want to take them to lunch somewhere on Lake Hefner, probably um, take them downtown to the canal, which is uh, quite unique and do dinner and drinks and stuff down there. Um, I think one of the cool activities that the, what is the, the um, whitewater rafting place down there? Oh, oh River, River Sports. Sports. River Sports. I yeah. Done that yet. I went down there that for the first so time cool. uh, this summer and that was so awesome. I had never been there before. Um, but I think take, that, you took your kids obviously. Yeah. Did yes. they do like the surfing and the river rafting and all that business? We did a little bit of that. We went for the opening ceremony for the Olympics because a lot of the Olympics uh, people, yeah, they know a lot of them. Yeah. And so we went down there for a festival down there. We actually saw Mayor Holt there, which I think is a great influence for our for mm-hmm. our city and for our state. But um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And that's what I think there's I think there's a lot of great areas of town that bring a lot of different um cultures to, to Oklahoma that, that you don't find anywhere else in the state. So that's, that's what I would want to do is kind of show them the different areas. And, 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 you know, I think that Oklahoma city has something for just about everybody, as long as you know where to look and, and how to find it. And, um, I think the people here, uh, in the metro area are all very nice and easy to get along with. And, and, uh, I, I would just try to expose them to as much of that as possible, which is tough to do because geographically we're so large. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think I probably need more than one day, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's starting to be that way. It used to be you could do it like in the afternoon, yeah. and now you're going to need a whole weekend. <laughs> right, they're only doing it with this crystal bridge, which I think they're redoing, and stockyards. That was my... Yeah, that was our route when That's I was true. Norman's growing cool up. too. I mean, the oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. have like some really cool old school, like, you know, what's that one drive through? Not drive through, it's like a Sonic that you can get. Do you know what Sooner what? Dairy? No, I don't oh. think so. Um, I don't know that. It's been there forever in Norman, but it's like a Sonic and you pull up. They have these like Skittle sprites. <laughs> oh my God, my kids would love that. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. It's like a dream come true. Well, so where can people find more information about? ECMO, Integris, all the all that good stuff. So we have a we have a website uh, or we have a segment of the Integris website that is dedicated to our ECMO service and our uh, specialty critical care service. If you, I mean, if you just Google Integris ECMO, it pops up. It has um, the hotline where clinicians can get in touch with our service if they have a patient that they feel needs to be uh, considered for ECMO, or if they, um, you know, we're we're starting now that we're all vaccinated and boosted and, and ready to start venturing back out into the world. We are trying to do more marketing again to our community hospitals to remind them that we're here and and when to call and and how we can help so um i imagine someone could get in touch with us there if they felt that their hospital staff needed a refresher about that that uh about all those things but um there's a lot of information on that website there and that's where i would direct people awesome we'll put all those we'll put all those links on our instagram too awesome yeah, well, we appreciate you guys. You guys. You guys. I mean, I've got a real education right here at the end of the year. I mean, right from the get-go. <laughs> I'm going to go exercise, and I'm not stopping at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You guys, thank you well, so thank much you. for taking time to come talk yes. to us. I yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your listening to these stories. You can find us on Instagram at ActionCityOKC or for business inquiries, email us at hello at ActionCityOKC.com. Action City is produced by Blacken Studios. You can find the studio on Instagram and Facebook at Blacken Studios. 
Creative services provided by Ranger Creative. Music written and performed by Kansas City Bankroll.